Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are so encouraged to know that God is using the ocean to impact your life through the ministry of the word. Knowing that your life is being transformed is exactly why we exist. As our vision says, we exist to know Jesus and make him known. So sit back, relax, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your life through this message. few weeks, I've been giving you a social media abbreviation communications test, right? How, how have you guys been doing? Doing pretty good with that? Not bad, some of you. All right, so today we're going to do our last social media test, and so I've got a few abbreviations for us. So the first one is the letters G-O-A-T or GOAT. How many of you have heard of this one? You know, I used to hear people say it all the time um, when they were talking about sports, and I thought, well, that's kind of insulting. Why are they calling him a goat? Do they just not like this quarterback? It's usually referring to a quarterback often. And then I Googled it and I found out goat means greatest of all time. So you guys all know this one already. This next one, P-A-W. How many of you have heard of P-A-W? Can I tell you why most of you haven't heard of this? This is a teenager code talk, Okay. So, parents, this is something you need to know. Um, There's actually a whole language out there that your teens use to communicate with each other. And some of it's okay, and some of it, like this one, is one that it's good to be aware of. So, you may want to Google teen SMS codes sometimes. And just be aware, you can't look them up and the next year expect them to be the same because they're aware that you're looking them up, so they're constantly changing. But P-A-W stands for parents are watching. So, mm-hmm, I know. So you're thinking, you see your kid type this, and you're like, what did that person ask before this? What do they want to know? What do they want? Sometimes they're asking for things you don't want your kids to be involved in, so pay attention. All right, our next one is IMO. How many of you have heard of IMO? It's a pretty common one. Um, IMO stands for in my opinion. So then you should hopefully be able to figure out this one, am. H-O. Who knows this one? Okay. So this one is for the ones who want to be a little more passive aggressive when sharing their opinion. I-M-H-O stands for in my humble opinion. And people will share that when they really want you to pay attention, but they don't want to say, I actually know more than you. But here's my, in my humble opinion. Um, And our last one is the one that we've been doing every week, W-D-J-D. You guys remember what did Jesus do? Oh, this interaction is good. I love you guys. So today is our last week for the WDJD sermon series, where we've been looking at the stories of Jesus so that we can learn what he did do so that we can learn what we should do. And we started off the series with a story of Jesus with the woman at the well, one of my favorite stories. And we looked at how Jesus would handle stereotypes and prejudice. And we learned that he would look and listen and love. And then last week, we read the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and how he came to not to be served, but to serve. And how we are to walk humbly, to serve others, and to love my enemies. So I've got a question for you. How many of you sometimes have really crazy dreams or nightmares. Anybody here get those? 
I used to get them all the time and mine are getting worse again. They're like, it's a seasonal thing. And I think I'm just in that seasonal life where I'm just getting, I wake up some mornings and I'm like, I have no idea where these things come from. So last week I had what I would consider kind of a nightmare. Um, And it was born out of just the pressure of coming back to physical church. And there's a lot that goes on that's different from church online, right? So just trying to get back into that groove. So in this dream, the Ocean Church had rented out a stadium for service. How cool would that be? That we could rent out a stadium and fill it. And it was filled. And I was so excited. There were all these people here from the ocean, from the city. And then a bunch of people from my missions organization were there as well. And we had already in the middle of worship time. And one of my guests was getting ready to come up and do announcements. And I went to grab my sermon notes because I was up next. And all of a sudden... I remembered I never finished writing my sermon. You can imagine that's a bit of a nightmare for a pastor. So I looked over at my friend Tammy, who was sitting next to me, and I told her, I never finished writing my sermon. It's only half done. And she said, well, it'll still be good. Everybody likes to go home early anyway, so, so, which might be true, um, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't write a full sermon, right? And so I went to grab my notes, and that's when I realized I did not have my notes with me. All I had was my phone, and I hadn't transferred everything from my laptop to my phone. I had nothing, and I was getting up to preach to a stadium full of people. To me, that was an absolute nightmare. I woke up at that point. My heart was pounding. I could not go back to sleep. I actually got up and started working on my sermon to make sure it was ready. And I even printed a copy. They've got a copy back by the projection table, just in case. I was like, I just need to be prepared. So, um, and if we're looking at our story today, we're going to look at the story in John chapter 8. I think this woman felt like she was caught up in a nightmare that she couldn't wake up from. So if you can turn with me to John chapter 8. This story is happening kind of in the middle of all this opposition that's starting to to ramp up for Jesus. The Pharisees are looking for ways to have him arrested and to stop him from teaching. And the story is one of their plans to try to trick Jesus or to trap him into saying something that would get him arrested. So John chapter 8, starting at verse number 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. See, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? You can see they're playing a bit of a game here, trying to trap him. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said, Let him who is without sin be among the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, 
No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I love this story. I love, there's just something about reading the stories of the things that Jesus did that really helps you feel like you know him better, don't they? And there's always so many lessons that we can learn. Even in this story, there's many lessons. But the one that we're going to look at today is on the area of judging. So let me ask you, have you ever felt like people were judging you? Most of us have probably felt like we were judged at one point or another. Have you ever said to somebody, don't judge me? Yeah, yeah. Or it's not your place to judge me? Yeah, we've all said that. You're usually quoting Matthew 7, verse 1. I can tell you, this is not just believers, but, but people who have never opened a Bible know this verse. This is probably one of the most quoted verses. John 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. It's probably one of the most quoted, but probably also one of the most misquoted and misused verses in the Bible. See, the problem is that we usually read verse 1, and then we skip reading the rest of the verses after it, don't we? And if you have been in my ministry classes, how many of you have been in ministry classes with Pastor Pam and taken hermeneutics? Some of you took them with Matron or even last, uh, last spring. Um, you will know that the word context, when it comes to reading scripture, is everything. And let me just explain the concept of context to you really quickly. So what if I was in the courtyard talking to Pastor Effie? Don't you love that we can call him Pastor Effie? (laughs) I know many of you have been, and in your hearts, we've all called him that. Um, But we get to call you that now officially, and it's so cool. So let's say I'm in the courtyard talking to Pastor Effie, and you walk by just as I say, it's not my place to judge. And Pastor Effie replies, well, Yeah, I completely agree with you, Pastor Pam. So you would think if two pastors said that, that it must be biblical truth, right? That would make sense. But what if just before you walked up, Pastor Effie had looked at me and said, what is something you hate hearing Christians say because it's not biblical truth? And I had said, well, it's not my place to judge. And you said, completely agree. It has a totally different meaning, doesn't it? Because you've got the context of what was happening before it or after it. We can say statements that say one thing but mean something else because of what is said before it and after it. It's the same with Scripture. If you read a Bible verse, but you don't read the verses around it, you could be misinterpreting what the author was trying to say to you. So shall we take a look at that full passage in Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 1, says, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what Jesus is teaching here is that we have no right to judge others for something that we are doing and overlooking in ourselves. That makes sense, doesn't it? It says first to take care of the sins in your life, 
then address it in others. It doesn't actually say, don't ever address the sin in someone else's life. Now, there's steps that we follow first. So, for example, you shouldn't judge somebody because they're not giving financially to a local orphanage if you're not giving financially to a local orphanage. I had somebody once when I said I was coming um, to Tanzania, um, they're like, well, there's people here that need the gospel. And I'm like, right, are you preaching the gospel to these people? If you see that need, you can't judge me for coming somewhere else to do it when you're not doing it yourself. And I think the biggest problem is we don't like to look at and address our own sin, right? So if we can just say, don't judge, then we don't have to worry about what other people are doing, thinking about us and what we're doing. See, and I think that's where the Pharisees made their biggest mistake. They were so quick to try to put this trap together, to trap Jesus, that they rushed into bringing forward this woman who was caught in adultery. But they didn't stop to think about what they were doing in their own lives. So let's look again at what Jesus did. Verses, starting in verse four, he said, they said to him, teacher, the woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So that phrase right there, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, shows us that he didn't react immediately. WDJD, Jesus paused. See, the Pharisees were so desperate to trap Jesus that they didn't stop to really think about what they were doing and how they were doing. But Jesus paused. And I think if we don't pause, we don't take the time to properly judge a person or a situation. Webster's Dictionary tells us that the word judge means to form an opinion based on evaluation. So if you react without pausing first, do you give yourself time to evaluate? You really don't get the time to evaluate a situation. When you react without pause, you often react emotionally. How many of you react emotionally before you stop and think about something? I know sometimes I do. Your opinion is shaped on emotions rather than on fact. And this will come as a surprise to many of you, but the Bible actually does tell us that born-again believers are to judge or to hold other born-again believers accountable. Essentially, it's our job to form an opinion based on an evaluation of them according to the biblical standards that we have in our Bible and profess as believers. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at a few verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to see what the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth about judging. So we're going to start in verse number 1. It says, It actually reported... It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn 
let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. It's important to take note of or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since they, then you would need to go out of the world. We're going to have people that we have to deal with in our lives, aren't we, that have these things. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I want to repeat verse number 12. It says, for what, I have to, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? How many of you are new to this? How many of you are like, oh, I did not know that was in Scripture? This is not a commonly preached passage. See, this goes against so much of what we've been taught or what we have assumed, doesn't it? See, we're told over and over again, do not judge, don't judge me. Christians aren't supposed to judge. And honestly, I believe most born-again believers misquote or misuse that verse, do not judge, for one of two reasons, okay? The first one, they don't want to take responsibility for holding holding other born-again believers responsible and accountable. I know that can be hard. We want to make it somebody else's problem. We're called to all do that to our brothers and sisters. Sometimes you do need to pass it up to somebody who is in a higher authority, but that doesn't mean we just allow them to keep walking in that sin. That is not what God wants for them. But I really think the bigger problem is number two. They don't want to be held accountable themselves. If, if I don't judge you, then you won't judge me, right? But that's not what the Bible says. Anybody here feeling just a little uncomfortable right now? You're thinking, oh, this is totally where I have been. And I, kind of, and, and I honestly hope if one of those two is your reason for not judging or saying that, that you are a little uncomfortable because that's how we grow, isn't it? If we don't get uncomfortable with what we're doing, we'll just keep doing it. And that is not how we represent the kingdom of God. I should state that judgment and accountability is not a bad thing, right? Um, Today, you heard our worship team up here. 
Did you, did you think they were good? You, you made a judgment, didn't you? See, not all judgment is bad. I think it's how we judge that really becomes the problem. We're to judge and hold each other accountable, but we are still to do that with love, right? Judgment and love are not two different things. Let's look back at what Jesus did in verse 7. It says, and, and this is um, back in John chapter 8. Sorry, I don't have that written down. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. See, by turning this back on them, he was able to call out the sin of the Pharisees without actually saying them. You see how he did that so subtly? So good. And he held them accountable to the kingdom standards that they were forcing on this woman. WDJD, Jesus held the believers accountable. Being a believer means that we need to hold each other accountable and hold other believers to hold each other accountable. When we see one of our brothers sinning, it's our responsibility to rebuke and restore them into right fellowship if they're willing to walk through the process of restoration. If they're not, what did the Bible say? Cast them out of your presence. If they are not too busy quoting, do not judge me, they might be willing to let you walk them through that restoration process. Back in in John, verse 9, let's go back to that a second. It says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And I love this part of the story, because even though the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, this poor woman was really the one that was caught in the middle, wasn't she? What she had done was against the Jewish law. And based on that, they have been, may have been justified in presenting her to be stoned if they had followed the proper protocols, which they had not. See, in their hurry to trap Jesus, they brought her alone. But the law stated that, that they were required to bring both the guilty parties into the, uh, that were party in the adultery to be presented as the evidence. Now, Roman law at that time did not allow Jesus to carry out death sentences. See, this was part of the Pharisees' trap. The Jewish law stated they should be stoned. The Roman law said we were not, that the Jews were not allowed to carry and pronounce death sentences. So, see, if Jesus said not to stone her then he would have been disagreeing with what the Jewish law had said. And and the Pharisees would have used that to discredit him. If he had said to stone her, well, then he would have given the Pharisees something to take her to Rome as a case against Jesus. But what Jesus did, I love how he did this, was provide a way for grace to win. One place where I noticed that Christians really seem to struggle with the concept of grace is online. Social media has become the safe place for you to say things that you would never say face-to-face to another person. But can I say that we as Christians have got to do better? See, I think what it, 
what is hurting our Christian witness the most in this world is really the Christians. See, people keep saying, well, based on current attitudes, I'm really sure we, we're in the end times. Have you heard anybody say that? I've had people say that to me so much right this year, um, just recently. But I honestly don't think that's even close to true. See, the end times will come when everyone has heard the gospel. But we have so many Christians who are too busy judging the non-believers and condemning them rather than bringing them love and sharing the gospel with them. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12 said, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? See, our job isn't to judge those who are non-born again, those who are outside of our kingdom. Our responsibility as to the non-believers is stated in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want you to take note that it doesn't say teach them to observe, and then once they're observing the commandments, then make them disciples right? It says, go make disciples, and then we teach them. You start with sharing the gospel, making a disciple, and then you teach them the laws on how to walk as a believer. When we judge and condemn our non-believer friends, according to our biblical standards, we are pushing them away from truth and love. So let me ask you, did you come to Jesus already perfect? Anybody here come to Jesus already perfect? Or maybe the better question, are you perfect now? We're not, are we? When we judge non-believers according to our biblical standards, that's not fair because their current standard for living is the worldly standard. We can't judge people by the kingdom standards if they're not a part of our kingdom. Um, so I want you to imagine this scenario with me. Let me just say, let's say you're, you're leaving church, you're, you're driving your car home, and you're driving on the left side of the road, right? Which is what we do here. We drive on the left side of the road. And a police officer pulls you over. And when he comes up to the car, he tells you that in the United States, actually, they drive on the right side of the road. It's illegal to drive on the left side of the road. So you're breaking a law a United States traffic law, and he's going to give you a ticket. What would your reaction be? You would be pretty sure you were being pranked, right? Like that does not make any sense whatsoever. You'd probably think it was a joke. Um, The law here says to drive on the left. Why would a police officer try to enforce a law that wasn't the law in Tanzania? See, he wouldn't. We don't follow the United States laws in Tanzania because we're not under the United States laws. We're under the Tanzanian driving laws. If someone tried to do that to you, you would just think they were crazy. You would fight against it. You would not want anything to do with that police officer, right? That is how non-believers feel when you're trying to force your biblical standards of living on them. It's not, at least not yet, we hope it will someday be, their basis for truth, but it currently is not their basis for truth. If what they're doing is not illegal, it's not our place to force them into that standard. One of the most popular verses in Scripture, John three sixteen, 
We all know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The following verse, John three seventeen, is also a beautiful verse of hope. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to save the sinners. WDJD, Jesus gave grace. Does your life reflect the grace of God to others? Or do you get caught up in trying to set a trap like the Pharisees did? Over and over, I see condemning and hateful comments on Facebook with Christians condemning non-Christians. And we are not, let me say this, we're not to promote or approve of sinful behaviors. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it's not our place to condemn and judge the non-believer for those actions. Our job is to share Jesus, not judgment. It really is that simple. We share Jesus. We love people. We show them what grace really looks like. We pray for them. We share the gospel. And then we continue to pray for them as we wait for the hope that they will be drawn into the beauty of who Jesus is. They'll be drawn in to accept that wonderful gift of grace. Share Jesus, not judgment. But I do need to say that while it's not our place to judge those who are not born again, it is God's place to judge them. Those who do not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be held accountable. And honestly, they are already condemned to hell. That should motivate us to share his love and to share his gospel, shouldn't it? That right there should instill in us this desire to make sure that his gospel is being spread. John 3 verse 18 says, here's their context. We read one verse, but we don't always read the ones after. John 3 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to show them that love. If your condemnation of a non-believer is what pushes them away from accepting Jesus, then you're the one pushing them to hell. Doesn't that weigh heavy on you? That weighs heavy on me. But see, the beautiful thing in all of this is John three sixteen, Because they're not condemned forever if they accept the gospel. John 3, 16, again says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus gave grace. I'm going to ask everyone here to close your eyes right now. And I know there, there may be somebody here today who has not accepted that grace and who's walking in that condemnation and wants to be freed from that. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. So while all the eyes are closed, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if today you wanna make that decision and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Is there anyone here today that wants to make that decision today? Church, I'm going to ask you all to pray with me. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, 
Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you for saving me from condemnation. I am making you my Lord today. And I ask you to help me to learn to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If anybody made that decision today, we want to celebrate you. There is nothing more amazing than that moment in a believer's life. If you did make that decision today, I'm going to ask that you stop by the harbor on your way out, this information point right outside the door here at the top of the stairs. And just let them know we have a gift for those who have accepted Jesus today. And we also can give you some information about Starting Point. This is our ministry to help those who are just getting started in their walk with Jesus. Church, I want to remind all of you this week and in the future to remember to pause like Jesus. To remember to hold each other accountable to the standards that Jesus gave us and to give grace like Jesus. Thank you, church.